Hello and welcome to our monthly podcast series, In Conversation With. Hello and welcome to the Global Cosmetics News Podcast. Today we'll be talking about the by-product beauty trend and first it's my pleasure to introduce our panellists. In the studio with me today we have Anna Brightman who's co-founder of UpCircle Beauty, Dr Terence Chung who's founder of Fru, Dr Mariam Benahoud who's technical director at Caracol and on the phone from New York City is Tina Hedges who's founder and CEO of Lolly Beauty. Hello everybody, welcome. Hello. Thanks for having us. So let's start by talking about what Byproduct Beauty actually is and why it has become a growing trend this year. Mariam, do you want to start us off? In my opinion, uh, Byproduct Beauty is a beauty product. It's a a beauty product as another one. It's just that uh, more care and more attention was taken to formulate it because you use a specific ingredient that is often unconventional and so you will spend more time formulating it into a, a personal care beauty product. And so it's this care and attention that we, we put in our products that is the major difference with another beauty product. Terence, do you want to add to that? So it's a bit of a new niche at the moment, I think. Um, and as a brand, we would like to make basically make use of um, non-virgin materials such as um, petrochemicals or natural materials, which are quite often unsustainable and requires a lot of land, water, and additional sort of carbon footprint to produce these materials. And and instead of that, we're looking at materials that's already available. Um, that's not necessarily what we call waste, um, because if you catch it at the right point where it's not contaminated, you can really make use of these materials. And and really, the end goal is to produce something that's as sustainable as possible. I think um, Byproduct Beauty is one of the best way to achieve that. Anna? Yeah, I mean, building on what Terence has said, I think uh, for us as UpCircle Beauty, what we're all about is extending the life cycle of ingredients that are already in use. Uh, again, getting in at that right point and then giving them a whole new purpose, a whole new use. And with that, you're sort of challenging people's perceptions of what they are considering as waste with the hope that we can uh, have less ingredients ending up in landfill sites when that end is not necessary. And we do that by transforming them into natural and sustainable skincare products. And Tina? So I think all uh, my fellow panellists have done a fantastic job (laughs) of explaining it. And and by the way... um, Kudos to everyone on this panel. It's amazing that so many um, very fantastic brands are hitting the marketplace with this um, ethos and mission. What I would add is that Lolly Beauty, we go beyond just upcycling or up beauty um, with ingredients. Um, we bundle that with a full circular or zero waste approach to everything from how we source, so including the upcycling of organic food waste but also to how we formulate 100% waterless using food-grade ingredients, to then how we package with refill, re- reusable, recyclable, and then also garden compostable packaging material. So we look at it, it's, it's important to not just innovate and do one aspect of this circular economy or this zero waste or up 
recycling approach, it, you, you need to put it in an entire ecosystem. So the entire footprint makes a difference. And uh, byproduct beauty, I mean, it's it's not completely new. It's been around for a while. There are a few brands that sort of have history in this for, for quite some time, Cordley, for example. But it's really having a moment. Why do we think this is? Is it is connected to the zero waste movement, the, the plastics, the increasing consumer awareness? Anna, do you want to... Yeah, I think a lot of the trends that we've been seeing over the last few years are related and they are all related in the sense of wanting to take care of our planet, whether that is the zero waste movement or trying to minimise our use of plastics or the rise of veganism, which of course has been around for a long time, but it's undeniable that that has hit the mainstream in a big way over the last few years. And I think that circular beauty rides that same wave. I think that we can't an- underestimate things like the what people are calling the Attenborough effect. You know, having these shows come through mainstream media, really bringing into our homes in our evenings the, the scale of the environmental crisis that we are facing. And I think it's really exciting that, that people are starting to really stop take a step back and think about how we can we can tackle that and i think that that is something that circular beauty is doing at the moment of course the beauty industry doesn't have a great reputation when it comes to uh, sustainability particularly due to things like the amount of plastic bottles that uh, it creates um so as tina said this is something that is not just in the formulations but also looking at the ingredients that we're using to house the products that we put in and again that ties back to the zero waste movement so i think all of these things are are happening now because they need to happen now you know it's going to take time for these changes to be implemented but i think people are starting to move in the right direction and things like banning plastic bags from uk supermarkets and uh you know the upcoming ban on plastic earbuds and disposable makeup wipes all of that is linked but I think it is important that this happens now and it's definitely a positive change. Let's talk logistics a little bit let's talk Miriam you touched on it's more difficult to formulate let's start with that could you talk to us a little bit about why it's more difficult the challenges involved? The beauty industry, so personal care beauty industry has been using uh, petrochemically based ingredients for the last 50 years, maybe a little bit more even. And so uh, they have recipes, they know how to use them, they how they perform, and they are always um, trying to innovate with new products, new effects uh, with these ingredients. And so coming back to natural ingredients, we lost a bit the knowledge how to use them. And we all know that you slice an apple open, you leave it on the table, it will oxidize, change color, the same things happen for fruits and, and vegetables. They degrade, they oxidize, they decompose. And um, so joining this idea with also the ecological impact of food waste. I mean, a few weeks ago, The Guardian published an article about how the food waste had a higher impact than actually acknowledged in terms of greenhouse gas production. And so it's methane, CO2 uh, and, and other gases uh, that are released into an atmosphere when the food waste starts decomposing. And so uh, the public is now aware of that. It's 8% of the global greenhouse gases produced and so the logistics here is yeah for the formulation so how how do, so the logistics i would say they start from how, where you 
collect these materials. So are they fresh? Have they been processed for food applications? And so how can we collect them then? Uh, one of the most challenging projects that we had at Caracol was to go and collect the grape material, the grape waste material from a vineyard because the, 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 the vineyard, the very large vineyard, for them it was a waste material, a byproduct. So the, the skins did, had very little value. And what had value was the juice and the wine that they started producing uh, with this juice that they just pressed. And so for us, it was all the logistics behind to be able to be there at the right time, take this off their hands so they didn't have to worry about it anymore and, and then transport and, and process them uh, to our facilities. So this was, uh, the, the logistics are huge. And, and so with your products, I, 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 can, I can't imagine the logistics uh, you had to put together to be able to propose and offer these products on the, on the market. So uh, we, for every single of our projects, we, we spend quite a lot of time putting in place the logistics. Terence, do you want to add to that? How do you, you collect fruit pulp for your range? In terms of what Fruit has done, um, when we started, we look at it and, and actually it's a massive project in a way that, um, like Miriam was saying, um, a lot of these waste material, they're not properly processed at source when where they're being processed. So, for example, with wine, you, you're squeezing out all the grape juice, but then the pulps would literally fermentate within the next hour or so. And for the wine producer, they don't have any self-incentive to produce, um, to process these material because there's no end user for these waste material. And for us, it's all about tying everything together to add value to these material and actually for us to complete the economy chain because a lot of these materials actually cost more than a virgin material, like a virgin coconut oil or like palm oil, for example. It's like sometimes it could be 10 times more expensive. And for typical like big corporate brand, they would not see the incentive to use this material because it costs more. And if the consumer can't see the value, they're not going to pay more for these material. And for us, I think everything comes together at one point where we think we've got a good enough value proposition as a brand and people would buy it. And in terms of the type of material that we use, the most difficult thing, like I say, is to find the right material that doesn't degrade. And, and for us, we were not, we, we didn't have the logistic to go out and find these fruits. Like if you, if you go out to like a supermarket, they have plenty of fruits, but they're rotting. So they're no good. Um, and for us, it's really finding a distributor that can go to like a farm where they're producing lemonades. They've got tons of like lemon seeds where they would press it at source. So none of it is um, degraded and none of it is, um, everything is still fresh and then you preserve at source. And then you can then ship over, it'll have like 12, um, 18 month shelf life and we can use in our products. So that that's the biggest challenge and a lot of the waste stream at the moment cannot be accessed because there's not enough producers who can produce these material that can also find a buyer at the very end. And, and we think we can complete the cycle by providing the consumer the products that they want to buy and then also um, adding value to these waste material. And that completes the whole economy. And I mean, it, economically, it hasn't worked until recently because people just don't see the point of using what we call waste. And now people are really embracing the fact that 
actually a lot of what we call waste is actually useful material. And, and we see that in the food industry where they're using sort of um, wonky fruits in the drinks, um, in garnishes, etc. And I think with that, we're tapping onto that growing trend of um, rethinking waste. Tina, do you want to add to that? I would say that um, for us on the supply chain, um, some of our upcycled ingredients, we went to countries around the world, not just locally, that um, we felt that we could make an impact by upcycling the ingredient on the local community. So not only do we reduce the waste, but for example, our date nut seed oil, um, which is exclusive to us, we get from Senegal and it supports um, about seven village, local villages that the women in those villages during certain times of the year don't have income. And by upcycling the date nut seed that usually would go to waste, um, they are now providing income for their families as well as being able to build schools and medical facilities and things like that. So, again, we try wherever we can. Um, it's, it's not easy to not just look at one aspect of what that impact or lessening the impact in, in a positive way for the planet um, can do, but also in the entire ecosystem of people and planet, how does that make a positive impact? And Anna, you were um, regaling us with stories of collecting the coffee and the difficulty in uh, then transforming that into beauty products. Do you want to explain that? Sure. Uh, so for us, the first range of products that we put out was a range of face and body exfoliators that are made from repurposed used coffee grounds that we collect from coffee shops, cafes and bars all over London. As you can imagine, there are various challenges when it comes to that. I mean, at every element. Uh, as you can imagine, as you're brewing coffee, you are pouring water through it, which is hot. So the coffee does mould quickly after the process of it being consumed as a drink. So uh, we have to act very quickly in order that we aren't getting mouldy scrubs because that would absolutely not be what we want. Of course, there's an element of staff training in it as well. We started out collecting from one roastery. Uh, we now collect from approximately 100 different locations all across London. And it's important that the staff in these places know that this needs to be simply a raw uh, ingredient. Nothing else is mixed in. Often they will have food waste as an overall and then, um, you know, non-combustible waste in other bins. So if we find that we are receiving coffee grounds that might have a banana skin in it or something, then already you've got a challenge there. So it has been tricky. And as a brand, we've been going for just under three years. We have managed to scale up our operation. You know, we are distributing these products a lot in various countries globally. But I think there's a reason that this idea hasn't been successfully uh, accomplished by lots and lots of brands because it is most definitely more challenging than simply buying fresh coffee, which we could very easily do and, to be honest, more cheaply do as well. Because, yes, of course, we are getting these coffee grounds for free. Um, they are being given to us by the cafes and bars. But the efforts that we go into processing and you know, making safe and, and the whole logistical challenge around it is is expensive and is difficult. And we've failed at it many times. It's taken a lot of refinement to get us to the process that we've now, um, you know, kind of mastered. 
However, it's also our entire USP. You know, we're upcircle beauty. We are we're taking ingredients and and transforming them. So it's 100% worth it. It's what makes us memorable and what makes us different. But I would be lying if I said it was easy. Um, Let's talk about the potentials. We've heard about fruit pulp. We've heard about the date seed oil. And we've heard about the potential of coffee. There's also a lot of projects going on in Europe at the moment. Um, Dead salmon, (laughs) um, rice starch. What is the potential? Can literally any waste product be transformed into a beauty ingredient? Miriam, do you want to uh, start us off? I would just just finish on on what uh, Anna just said. Coffee, when we looked at it, has a huge potential because we all love consuming, I mean, having a, our cup of coffee in the morning and or in the afternoon. Uh, <laughs> <again>. <laughs> um, coffee is the product. We only take the seed to make coffee or to brew coffee. What happened to the, the cherry? The cherries are left over, are, are, are wasted. And the problem is at the scale we, we produce coffee, we are actually contaminating land and, and rivers with acidic cherries, mm. okay? So they acidify the soil, they cause a, a real problem there. So uh, this is a thing, a huge message also about these uh, byproducts beauty is that we are actually solving problems. So I've mentioned earlier the greenhouse gases, but also uh, soil acidification. Uh, when we don't have as much land as we would like to to be able to do to just use it as fertilizers and uh, a lot of these byproducts are used as um, animal feed but let's be honest animals don't like them <laughs> so there's so much you can put in their food of these other ingredients byproducts and so uh, there's a huge potential here and yes we see coffee starch uh, oils so I, I imagine oils from salmon, the, ch- the challenge of the marketing, it's, it must be quite important because we are going into vegetarian veganism movements. And so it's difficult to justify the use of animal uh, product or, or left byproducts from animal sources. One very local, I would say, I come from Yorkshire now, so from Leeds. Problem is, what do we do with, um, with wool? We like to eat lamb, uh, at least in the north. The wool, we, we, we do it for, for the well-being of the animals to take the wool off. And the wool could be used as an ingredient to for hair care, for instance. And we don't do it, not enough at least, because of these animal source ingredient. So there are a lot, there's a lot of potential and there's some limitations of uh, stops that are present and we need to pass Uh, them to be able to actually offer a wider range of products that come from waste material, biomass or or byproducts from the industry. It's an interesting uh, aspect when two environmental movements clash in that way, you know, lanolin versus veganism, etc. Both are supposed to be zero waste, good for the environment, ecological, but, you know, ultimately who is right? There's, There's no real you know, at the moment, there's no way of measuring that. So it's an interesting take on it. And let's talk about marketing, because that is a challenge, isn't it? I mean, for all of the people who have had an eco awakening in the last couple of years, there's still a stigma around waste, isn't it? I mean, no one really, even if they're 
the most confirmed meat eater ever really wants to think about dead salmon being put in there. <laughs> Again, obviously it's slightly different with, with fruit bowls and coffee, but, but have you experienced that, Terence? What, what do you think? I think in a cosmetic industry, um, because quite a lot of how products are marketed is down to sort of how unique the ingredients is and, and the efficacy and, and how premium the ingredients is. And quite often... What we were saying about um, byproduct beauty is it's not new, actually, because if you think about, for example, use of lanolin and use of um, carotene in, in hair products, carotene is an animal protein, and that actually comes from the poultry industry and the meat industry, and they, they wouldn't tell you that, oh, there's carotene in it. Actually, it came from a chicken, but, but nobody ever used that as a marketing point. And, and now I think it gets to a point because... Um, I mean, like like you say, there's there's a clash with the veganism and the sustainability. And from from our point of view, it's, it's good to fit ourselves in between these two go, growing trends, without sort of going into the the use of byproducts that is not really well approved in terms of ethical purpose. Even though there are byproducts that's going to go to waste if you don't use them. For example, like Miriam I'm saying, it's wool, um, and it just becomes a really tough sell if you were to try to use these materials. Um, I know another brand that is trying to use um, chicken feather as a um, insulator for um, food packaging. And I, I just thought, if my customer know that their food is being delivered with chicken feather as an insulator, they will go crazy about it, even though it's a sustainable solution. So yeah, it's, it's going to be difficult um, from a marketing point of view to navigate. But um, I think the first step is looking at things that we can address without stepping on toes of these people and making them think that, oh, this is gross, like um, you shouldn't use any products. And- but I think that's all about uh, re-education. I mean, obviously we are dealing with issues of waste here in the beauty industry and that is a challenge. It would be very easy to just say, oh, no, I'm not doing that. You're asking me to put used old coffee grounds on my face. No. Um, so from the brand perspective, it's down to us to to tell people, well, actually, no, you know, studies have shown that the level of antioxidants in used coffee is even higher than in fresh coffee. This has not got any more bacteria or whatever it might be. As a brand, we took a major decision two years into our journey to do a complete rebrand. For the first two years, we were known as Optiat. That name was an acronym for one person's trash is another's treasure. But aside from that, we almost hid arguably, what we were all about, which was repurposing ingredients. And that was because we had been sort of scared off by mentors or investors uh, from putting this at the forefront of our brand. But actually, being a brand who are promoting the circular economy in the skincare industry is also what makes us unforgettable and what keeps people coming back to us. So we took the decision to actually scrap the original idea and completely change our marketing so that we were putting this ethos right slap bang in the front and center of our messaging from our brand name upcircle our actual logo and then the messaging on the packaging of the front of each product that we produce as well um, you've got what it is and then it's got what it repurposes so for any shopper buying us in any country in any store we are saying, yeah, this is repurposed and we are saying it proudly. And I think that that is something that's going to be really important with regards to marketing this whole era of byproduct beauty, if it is going to become mainstream. Um, And I think for us, 
Anyway, I can only speak from our perspective, but it's been absolutely a, a good decision and not something that people have um, veered away from, but actually that people have grabbed hold of and wanted to be a part of and wanted to promote to their friends on their own Instagrams or, or tell people about because it's new, it's innovative and it's forward thinking. Um, so for me, I think it's not something to shy away from. Yeah, I mean, from food perspective, we, we take a slightly different approach of going to more mass market and being less more quiet about what we're trying to do. And, and with that, we're, we're trying to target basically everyone because we, when we first started um, like two, three years ago, not a lot of people would say they are an eco-conscious buyer and we want to hit as many people as possible. And therefore, I, and I also find that a lot of conscious, eco-conscious consumers always look at your website and look at a brand story, how things are sourced. So quite often they also find out about your story anyway. But um, for us, we kind of went a safer option and basically produce something that everyone will pick up um, regardless of the brand sort of message behind it. And Tina, how have you um, overcome challenges of any marketing or, or is it just a plus point for your business? You know, we've had similar um, reactions in the beginning to Upcircle Beauty that, you know, there were moments where people, uh, in, and this is when we launched um, a year ago, a little over a year ago, um, that people, some of our consumers would say, you know, I don't want to put food waste on my skin and, oh, you know, you're trying to sell me your trash and things like that, but, you know, not really quite getting the entire concept. But we saw a, a radical shift starting in Q1 to, um, 2019 this year, where all of a sudden, six months prior, when we would talk upcycling beauty, zero-waste beauty, sustainability in sourcing the ingredients, and it would go right over the consumer's head. They wouldn't get it. And we saw a dramatic shift in the beginning of this year, even with our um, advertising on social media that we got hundreds of comments from consumers just like obstacle tagging their friends, mm -hmm. being really loyal, digging into the details, having debates amongst themselves about the impact and um, the beauty industry and the wasteful packaging and interesting about the ingredients. So I think that there's been a paradigm shift. And I think what was a challenge a year ago, and, and we had a similar situation about, you know, investors and potential partners pushing back. Oh, people don't want to hear a sad story. They don't want it. Beauty's about happiness. You know, don't talk about waste and, you know, downplay all of that. We see it now as what was a hurdle is probably our most powerful asset. And what about investors? Has this year brought more interest in investing in your brands, would you say? from Is the finance industry catching up? Do you see mergers and acquisitions happening in the future? What do you think, Anna? Well, I mean, one experience that I can speak of is the fact that we, um, not that long ago, went on Dragon's Den. And I mean, that went very well for us as a standout brand. We've since been contacted again by them for another appearance. And so getting that kind of exposure on national television for our concept is, I guess, one example of the fact that big key players are interested in people making change in this area. I think 
again, through our own experience, we've been able to demonstrate to our own investors that we have made the right decision uh, with what we've done. And again, you can see the effect of that when it comes to the sorts of retailers and the traction that we are getting at the moment. Uh, We're just about to launch in America. We've just launched in Australia. We launched with Boots several months ago. We've got four or five other major UK retailers taking us on by the end of the year. And that's all after a rebrand that happened in December. So the speed with which this new circular beauty in your face kind of approach has taken off, I think is a testament to the fact that people are are ready and the time is now. And similarly, when it comes to press, PR, all of that, I mean, within the last two weeks, we've had features with Glamour, Twice in the Times, Refinery29, Forbes, you know, big key names. And those features have been on Circular Beauty. So I think that, that, yeah, people aren't shying away from it anymore. And it's definitely something that's going to grow and grow. Miriam, have you had interest from big, some of the big companies in ingredients that are zero waste circular byproduct? Yes, we had a lot of interest from from them. Uh, also, when we decided, in fact, to launch our brand with the first product, which is the Purple Berry uh, Serum, so the brand called Dr. Craft, uh, we had a lot of attention. Um, people wanting to come film how we do it, so you can find video t- uh, v- uh, videos of how we actually make the product, because we are really transparent on this side. And I think this is, again, transparency. Uh, is really important and so saying where the product is coming from our blackcurrant extract has a fantastic story it's 90% of UK production of blackcurrant goes to Ribena Ribena presses the juice and then uh, gives the waste the byproduct to GSK who takes the seeds and we collect the skins so the seeds are used for pharmaceutical a drug and the skins for our pigments that then we incorporate into our purple berry serum. And so, and um, it, it's not a sad story. It's a beautiful story, study and, and uh, story, sorry. And we hope this will uh, actually inspire others to do the same and to do more because there's potential in all these byproducts, waste uh, material that are discarded, unfortunately, sometimes burned which even is it's even worse. <laughs> do you think on that note do you, do you think that we actually need to use new anymore in beauty is is there a logistics aside is there sufficient food waste um going around that we could actually just create all beauty products eventually obviously it would take time. Terence what do you think do you think there's a need for new products anymore or should we be making more use of food waste than ever? Yeah, I mean, if you look at the manufacturing side and of how these ingredients are produced, on average, there's much more waste produced than the end, end products. If you think about the um, production of, for example, essential oil, um, you require like one ton of the wet material to produce maybe one kilo or one point zero point zero point one kilo of the essential oil. So that's a lot of biomass that's being produced that doesn't actually end up being in your bottle. And if you just think of everything that we make, for example, coffee, for example, palm oil, there's so much waste in the entire processing um, chain. There's enough material to actually replace um, some of these um, virgin material. And, and I guess 
the difficulty again comes down to whether the processor again can find enough value for these material in the end. And I think it's down to big brands to make a conscious decision of going, we'll put more money into um, the costs of these material. And then um, as a result, our product would be more sustainable, we'll get less of a margin. But as long as it works, um, as long as we'll still be here in the next 200 years, if the Earth survives, then um, that's the right decision to make. Um, and I'm directing this at Tina. Would that make you, um, I'm assuming, perhaps wrongly, but I hope rightly, that as sort of directors of uh, zero waste brands, that environment is is very important to you, that you're not doing it cynically, that it's something that happened because you were passionate about it. Would you be happy for the environment generally if a huge, one of the huge beauty brands suddenly said, right, we've launched this in as a direct competitor to you? Or would you prefer that they sort of embrace the movement in terms of acquisitions? Um, well, actually, it's, it's a really interesting question because we just won the Cosmetic Executive Women um, Beauty Award for Sustainability Excellence. And, you know, that's sort of like the Academy Awards of Beauty. And we beat um, L'Oreal's uh, new brand, Feed, Phytofeed, uh, yeah. And um, the first thing we did is turn to a seed and say, let's collaborate together. Let's make a change together. Um, I would love to work with all the, the brands on this panel. I think that, if, you know, I believe in, you know, I'm, I sit in the tech accelerator and I take approach of open source coding, right? That, you know, one of my fellow panelists might have the answer to one problem we're trying to solve, but we may have the answer on another side. And if we can all make an impact together, the, the industry is big enough. There are enough consumers out of the, out there who care that we can all win. But if, you know, our mission at Lolly is to stir up a clean and conscious change in the wasteful beauty industry and still deliver pure and potent, um, powerful products. So that's really core to us and to our DNA. So I welcome the L'Oreal's and the Lauders and the Unilever's of the of the world waking up and and joining us, and I also welcome um, hopefully collaborating with my fellow fellow panelists and anyone else out there that wants to make a change. I think collaboration is pretty much key to what we're doing in this whole movement. You know, we're operating in the beauty industry, but we're relying on food producers for the byproducts that we are then using and, and, and moving into this sector. Mm. We're contacting farms frequently. We were looking at hemp, you know, widely known as a very sustainable ingredient, yet no one's making use of the husk of the seed. It's got the same nutrient density, but it's being discarded. Similarly, the stones of olives and apricots that are a byproduct of, of oil production, again, in food. So I think it's all about creativity, uh, new ideas, and then coming together to, to seek out solutions um, that cross different genres in food and beauty. But then also, as Tina was saying, uh, us brands need to stick together and welcome it. It would be like, you know, recently KFC, for example, have bought out their vegan chicken. That'd be like vegans turning their nose up at that. I mean, surely that's a positive step for veganism. And I think equally, if the big names are going to start riding this wave and yes potentially becoming our competitors we would be foolish to think that that was a bad thing or at least inauthentic <laughs> um, with regards to our true core values and our, our mission mm. which is to create a more sustainable future mm. we could we could just you know if the big 
brands industry would uh, tackle these problems, we could move on other problems mm. that are still to be solved. And so um, it will just be another push for innovation. And this is what we need in the whole industry, um, cosmetics, but also um, food industry. And so we had the same situation uh, when they heard, I mean, um, we had farmers and uh, food distributors, uh, so fruit mainly, uh, contacting us uh, after we launched our first product and we got some attention on the papers. And so they read the papers and then they sent us an email. Some called us directly, uh, found our phone number and called saying, I have this do you want to give it a try? We would like it to use. To, we would like to use it as a head eye, and uh, and and yeah, uh, this started our a new collaboration. And um, we have already too many projects uh, for the size of our small company. So we are pushing as much as possible, and we do. We focus on research and development, and this is uh, starting from whatever is coming from um, the grower, uh, the producer. Uh, until the the final product, and um, it's uh, there's so many possibilities, so much potential. So far, we've talked a lot about post production food waste, so coffee grounds after they've been made into coffee, stones of things, you know, leftover after the the the, the key part of the plant is taken out. What about just food? What what about do you do you believe that it's a byproduct? If, for example, someone's using wonky carrots for a face cream is is that a byproduct or is that something that could be eaten what's the ethics behind that terrace what do you think the problem is a lot of these agriculturally grown materials they always compete with the same land so i think in terms of byproducts um the key is actually looking at the waste stream and look at where the waste is being produced and what bits can be um actually be made use of in terms of things like wonky carrots and fruits, etc. I think a lot of them can be made into different type of food. So I'm seeing quite a lot of movement there, but I don't think they're, they're ever going to completely eliminate that um, food waste because um, some of them might not just be wonky, but actually they might have the wrong acidity profile. Um, they might not be ripe enough. They might be slightly overripe. So it'll rot by the time it gets to the supermarket. So there will always be waste in the agricultural industry. And um, I think from a sort of um, chemical industry, they are looking into that a lot at the moment. And, and really um, the cosmetic world is tied very close into the chemical industry. And we think that maybe we can drive that move into looking at more sustainable material that way, um, instead of just looking at what they call green chemistry and sort of producing um, synthetic chemical that has got less wastage. Um, I mean, I don't think that we can challenge the ethics of either a beauty or a food brand who are making use of uh, supermarket rejected wonky fruit and vegetables. I think that that can only be a good thing because whether they step in or not, it's going to be wasted. The change needs to come sooner. It needs to come from potential overproduction in farming or, or whatever. Um, it's not at the point in which circular businesses are stepping in that we need to challenge the ethics. It's And maybe it's not an issue of ethics at all. It's just a, a production issue that we need to tackle. But that would come sooner in the chain than the point at which it becomes relevant to businesses like our own. Mm -hmm. We often forget also about 
what is all the things that are produced by the plant that we don't eat. And so in most cases, we only eat the fruit, which is a small part of what is, has been grown. And we put a lot of effort to, to grow these plants. So, and these are just thrown. No, and often they have very specific characteristics. So they will have a little bit of what the fruit has and maybe other things that are quite interesting to evaluate. So uh, as you question asked earlier, uh, do we actually need to use new uh, anymore? Well, we, we, we have to redefine what is new and, uh, and things that we used to eat and we don't eat anymore. Uh, leaves of some plants that we don't eat anymore that are just discarded because supermarkets don't want to deal with it. Uh, they only want to sell the premium products or, or even markets. Uh, so yeah, uh, that's that's again another another opportunity. How about you, Tina? Is there a hierarchy of food waste or is all waste saved a good thing? I concur with Anna and, and Miriam that um, it's, you know, number one, I'm not in a position... Um, to throw stones at anyone's intention to, to do good. I think that, um, you know, first you get in the stadium and then you change your seat, right? Like not everyone is as immersed in the details as um, all of the panelists on this uh, podcast are and have dedicated the last, you know, several years to trying to make a change that's significant. Um, there's a lot of marketing out there um, and, companies peddling opportunities and um, people thinking they're doing uh, good, but not looking down the entire value chain or um, to see how it impacts in other ways. Um, I do agree with Miriam, and we um, look not only at one part of a discarded ingredient, but for example, our sea buckthorn sourcing from the Himalayas, we use several parts of the berry. We use not only the seed oil, which is quite common in beauty, but we use the fruit oil. And the fruit oil is um, harder to work with because it stains the skin, but it's incredibly powerful. And we also sometimes use the juice. So we, we look at all parts where, where we can to try to impact um, that entirety of the cycle. But wonky carrots, I, you know, I'm not going to, you know, I think it's great. You want to try to make a change, you know, if that's how you feel or is it just a marketing ploy? You know, uh, I think that's a larger discussion. <laughs> just quickly, I'd like to hear from each of you what you hope slash think the future of a circular byproduct, closed loop, beauty, whatever term you'd like to use, will be, same decades time, even, even further. Anna, do you want to start us off? I think that it's going to get bigger and bigger. Uh, I think that we're going to see lots of people coming onto this uh, bandwagon with new inventive ideas for things that we could not have even imagined. And I think that this is going to happen not only in repurposing of ingredients uh, with regards to formulations, but also, and I hope, because it's one drawback that we find at the, at the moment, but the same innovation into packaging as well. Whether that be bioplastics, completely eliminating plastics, using things that are ending up in the oceans, or, or whatever it might be. I think that Circular Beauty has got a very very bright future and I'm really happy to be a player in this right now because every single day we have people coming to us with their byproducts saying what can you do with it and what an exciting question is that um, so yeah I look forward to where it goes. Miriam? Yeah, exactly the same for us uh, we as I said we have already a lot of 
projects ongoing and um, growing our, our range of products for the Dr. Craft brand. And uh, there's so much more. There's so much more. And uh, I, I, I see us continuing doing this, what we are doing at the moment uh, in the coming years. Terence? Yeah, I mean, starting from the waste aspect, um, there's, there's so much waste around the world. When we first started, um, we thought it was a UK problem. And then and then we get calls from um, Canada, from Ghana, everywhere asking, like, can you do something with our fruits? Like, they're rotting there. And we're like, oh, we're a bit far away. And, and there's, there's so much that you can actually make use of. Um, and actually, a lot of it actually starts from the poorer country, the developing countries, where um, the farmer can be educated, the, there can be better equipment to preserve these wastes. It's always going to be a good movement, and, and hopefully that would stroke some of the bigger brands to sort of try some of these principles that we're doing at the moment. And, and um, most of all, to actually make it accessible to the mass market, because um, at the moment, um, what we could do is really pitching at the sort of higher point of the market to sort of justify the um, cost of the material, et cetera, but, but to eventually um, achieve a scale where a lot of these materials are cheap enough once we achieve the economy of scale and to sort of make it available to everyone. And Tina, do you want to finish this off? I hope that we'll reconvene in a year and we will all be super excited about the change that's occurring. I do think that more and more, just again, just looking at what we've seen happen in one year, um, more and more both um, ingredient suppliers, um, a lot of them traditionally um, more typical beauty, cosmetic, um, petrolatum-based, are beginning to think, wait, what do we need to do here? How do we um, get involved and, and, and have something that is going to impact um, the industry positively and be received from the consumers in a good light. I think that from a packaging standpoint, there is so much confusion and even people that um, I had an incident recently in a luxury packaging show where I was walking through and almost every vendor said to me, oh, this is biodegradable. And I would um, say biodegradable or compostable. And they'd be like, oh, it's compostable. And, you know, they would flip back and forth. They really didn't know what it was and, and the good or the bad, because as we know, sometimes biodegradable can be bad because you could be putting bioplastics into the, um, back into the food supply. So I think that there's going to be an incredible lift in insight and knowledge, and that will then bring a lot more opportunities to us, both from an ingredient and packaging innovation. So I, I hope that we get together in a year and we all check in and, and see what's happened. Wonderful. Thank you. I'd like to thank everyone for taking part today. Thank you, Anna. Thank you, Terence. Thank you, Miriam. And thank you, Tina. And thank you to our audience for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>